Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Well, good morning. Man, we are just excited that you're with us today. I want to talk to you this morning about this big idea, uh, how it takes energy to love well. I want to encourage you, if you want to follow along, take notes with us, faithnfm.com or on your handout when you walked in the door. Uh, Now, when I was processing this message uh, and and praying about it, Earlier this week, I asked my wife, because if there's one person that's an expert in this area, it's her. She has an extraordinary, extraordinarily amount of energy to love my family well. We have three children. If you've raised kids at all, hanging out with kids at all, it takes energy. I was getting ready to go say something to her earlier. I was like, hey, Britt, and I hear this baby screaming in the nursery. She's over there. She's serving at the uh, kids' ministry. And I, and I instantly did one of these 180s and went right back up the hall because I hear that baby crying. Like, it, it takes energy, right, to, to love a guy like me. I was like, Britt, you're an expert. Come here. Here's my notes. You take it, girl. You got it. I'm an emotional guy. Fellas, that's okay. We can be emotional. We don't have to be stone cold, you know, looking tough all the time. We can be emotional. Like the past two weeks, man, I've been on a roller coaster all of the NFL playoff times. Like, let's go. Cincinnati Bengals. Who day all day. So I'm an emotional guy. I even went and found an orange Bible in honor of the Bengals. I was like, I got to find one, right? takes emotion. It takes energy to love people. It takes energy to love people well. In Scripture, we see this time and time again, these different instances, these different moments. Let me just highlight just a few of them for you. You said at the very beginning in in Exodus chapter 5, this man by the name of Moses, he's called by God to deliver his people out of slavery. You would think everybody in the nation would be like, high five, we're leaving. We found our our, our leader. Yet in Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh comes down on the people a little harder. And who do they blame? Who do they get mad at? Moses. Moses, it's your fault that Pharaoh now sees us as more obnoxious. Can you imagine the energy that it would take to continue to go forward and, and be led by God to say, hey, I'm here to save you, but I'm here to lead you. I'm going to battle for you, yet you want nothing to do with me? Or here's this classic Old Testament prophet. Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Hosea. If you're familiar with the story at all, Hosea in verse 2, right out the gate, is is saying that God calls him to marry a prostitute. Now, can you imagine that first date? So what do you do for work? Well, check, please. You know, like, and yet, yet Hosea follows through God's leading. Can you imagine the energy that it would take to wake up every day and say, I got to love this lady because God's calling me to love this lady. 
Or you look at this, this beautiful romantic story, it's Valentine's Day, I, I'm making that plug. Gentlemen, you can leave immediately after service to go get some items. If I gotta leave it any, if I gotta go any further, then you're in trouble already. But there's a story of Rachel and Jacob. Signs on for seven years to, to marry this love of his life. But Rachel has an interesting father by the name of Laban. We see this in Genesis 29. It's a beautiful story. And, and, and Laban is a swindler. He, he kind of always is changing the game. And, and Jacob worked seven years. And scripture says those seven years felt like days because he loved Rachel so much. But then that seven years ends, he gets swindled, Jacob, and then he gets married to Rachel's sister. Fellas, can you imagine that? You know some of your spouse's sisters. And he signs on for seven more years. Can you imagine getting up that energy to, to say, I, I love this lady. Now, if you would have asked me in my early 20s when my, my beautiful bride, Brittany, if my father-in-law came to me and was like, hey, you're going to have to work 14 years for her. I don't know if I'm going to go any further. You can relate the energy it takes to love. See, the question for us today is not this. It's not how do I love. It's do I have the energy to love well? Do I have that energy that it takes to love the people in my life, the spouse in my life, my friends in my life, my coworkers in my life? See, Jesus, he paints this beautiful picture. We're going to look, and, and, and Pastor Steph mentioned it, we're going to look at the story of the 5,000. And there's all beautiful amounts of different angles and avenues we can take when it comes to this teaching. But you have to ask yourself, how did Jesus have this ability? The Holy Spirit comes upon his life, and day in, day out, he had energy to love people. Challenging. John 6, 57 says this, I live, in Greek it says zoe, to live, the, the, all the cosmos, his complete being, the commitment. I live because of the living Father who sent me. Jesus' dependence on the Father gave him the ability to love well. Later on in that verse, Jesus goes, those who come to me, who feed off me, have that ability to live well also, to love well to experience life to the fullest. See, the question isn't, how do I love? If I asked you, how do you love your spouse? You'd probably say, I do this, I do this, I say these things. You, you'd have it all kind of buttoned down and you would know. But having that energy to, to do acts of service, to spend quality time, to, to bite your tongue, takes energy. It, 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 takes, it takes God. See, God is our source. God is the one who gives us the energy to love well. So we're gonna look at the story of, uh, I found in Mark chapter five, or Mark chapter six, excuse me, but let's, let me give you some context of what is actually taking place in scripture because context is king. Uh, my, as a pastor, as a pastor, my hope is this, 
I don't want you just to, to hear the words I say and then you go try to do your best. I want you to own responsibility of knowing God's word. I want you to, to meditate on God's word, read God's word daily so that you can understand, you can develop and grow a relationship with, uh, with him personally. I, I was talking with someone in the lobby right before the service. I was like, hey, look at my, uh, uh, my Bible app, the U version. It gives you the streaks. I don't know if anybody else is familiar with it. It tells you how many days you've been in the Bible app. And I'm like, this is awesome. I show someone, hey, here's my number. And then they pull out their phone and they're like, here's my number. It was like four times the amount is mine. I was like, well, I read mine hard copy, like not on the Bible. You know, I tried to go that route, but I'm like, stink. So in Mark chapter six, we see this is what's happening in the region of Galilee. Uh, revolution is in the air. The, the Jewish people have been an oppressed nation. They're, they're uh, uh, ready for their leader. See, the Old Testament always spoke about this coming Messiah, this coming king. Prophets always were talking about it. So the Israelite nation at this point, they, they were on their toes. They were ready. Where's that coming king? Like we're ready to revolt against Rome. We're ready to, to make our mark in history. We're ready to, to seize the land. So they thought they had this warrior king coming. And so the prophets always, or so the people at the time thought it was this man by the name of John the Baptist. You read this earlier on in Mark chapter 6. But then what happens is John the Baptist gets beheaded. He loses his life. And here's the irony. Uh, he loses his life because he calls out King Herod. He says, King Herod, you shouldn't marry your brother's wife. I know, kind of weird, right? Like, Bible has some weird things. That's why I want you to, you know, read it. Who would have ever thought you would get in trouble for stating the obvious? Now, if you know where I'm going with this, guys play guy sports, girls play girl sports. It's really that simple. But if you're sitting in here and saying, man, this is tough times. Can you believe this has all happened? John the Baptist lost his head for saying something that's pretty obvious. So it's been with us for the eons and the ends of the age that not everybody captures the simple or what we're supposed to do. So the Israelite people, they're, they're, they're perplexed. They don't really know what to do exactly. John the Baptist, their, their Messiah who they thought is beheaded. And then Jesus is coming on the scene here. So they, they turn their attention to Jesus and, and Jesus teaches this about having the energy to love well. Join me, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 is where we're going to pick up. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to them all they had done and taught. Now we have to go back to understand what they've done. Back if you look in six, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus instructs these 12 disciples to go in this region, go in the lands, and speak and, and share on behalf of who Jesus is. So they're seeing radical things happen in the name of Jesus. Incredible things are taking place. So they come back and they report to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, the revolution's about to start. We're ready. At this time, they don't know what's really going on. They're just following this man, Jesus. So they report to Jesus what they've all done and what's been taught. And verse 31 continues, Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Verse 32. So they went away by themselves on a boat to a solitary place. 
In order to love well, we need to give of our time and then seek rest. I want to give you four things this morning. The first one is after giving of our time, we seek rest. Now, there's an important sequence in this passage of Scripture. Notice that the disciples didn't go and seek rest if they didn't do anything. If you're someone in here, let's say, I'm going to throw out an age. I did it last time. I'll just, I'll, uh, last service, I'll stick with it. The age of 25 and down. I want to encourage you with this thinking and this mentality. Your work week, your activity, what you're doing for God, what you're doing uh, with people should outweigh the days you rest in your week. So let's say you're coming in here and you're like, yeah, I work two days a week and then I hang out at home the rest of the five. I would say followers of Jesus are producers in the community. There's a production rate that we have to ideally live up to. There's no, uh, just, hey, I'm just going to go with the wind. And, and just, that's not what it means to be a follower. Notice in, in Scripture, it says they didn't even have time to eat. So many people were captivated and saying, oh, man, there's Jesus. Revolution's in the air. Let's follow Jesus. All these people were looking for the answer, the, the Messiah, Jesus. There was something unique about him. So they're coming. These disciples, they're giving away. They're doing the food, they're helping, they're praying, they're healing, their things are happening. But there's another little detail. Notice the disciples, they didn't raise their hand and say, hey, it's time for a break. I need treat time or snack time. You know who comes in and tells them? Jesus sees how weary they are, sees that they're lacking energy. And he goes, hey, you need rest. Come with me. You need rest. Follow me. You need rest. Let's go away to a quiet place. So I want to give you three things when it comes to rest. First, you got to rest with the right people. You got to rest with the right people. And notice that these individuals, some are family, some are not. These individuals are sometimes strangers and sometimes not. You have to rest with the right people. That's why we come into this, uh, this place on, on Sundays, watch online, wherever the case. We're resting with people who are other disciples, followers of Jesus. That's why I love when, when Pastor Steph is up here, man. He brings it every Sunday. Some of us are like, man, that, that music's a little too moving and grooving. I'm like, he's bringing us because he's bringing us some energy. He's bringing us some life. We're resting. We're celebrating on a Sunday morning of the great creator. Some of us in this place, just because you're family, just because you're blood, you need to evaluate who you're resting with. Or are they taking energy constantly from you? Or you're sitting there and you're like, man, if I go to Aunt Betty's, sorry if you're a Betty, and I go to Aunt Betty's house and, man, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, she's just draining. It's always drama. It's always emotion. It's like, Aunt Betty, I thought you had a relationship with Jesus. You gotta rest with the right people. I, I, I believe this person, and it's back to biblically that some of the best people you need to be able to rest with are other followers, because they're in the same like-mindedness. You can't 
rest completely with someone who doesn't know Jesus because Scripture also calls us to be a good example to those who don't know Jesus that because through you, then they can meet Jesus because there's something different about you. If you're acting like the world, then people are going to say there's nothing different between you and me. So you've got to rest with the right people. You want to love well, rest well. A rest is the best you. Number two, you have to rest in a quiet place. Imagine this scene. The disciples, they're sitting along this lake and the, the waves are crashing forth and they're in nature. They're all surrounded and they're swapping stories about the miracles that they were a part of. They went two by two. They had nothing. They had just a staff and they're just walking the land. Can you imagine that? Like, hey, Andrew, this is what happened to me, man. That's pretty cool. I saw this guy healed. I saw this guy with this, this inability to do something. Can you imagine that scene as these men are sitting there resting? There's a study that was done by Matthew White. Uh, uh, he's a university professor out in Exeter, a university in Europe. And he came to this conclusion out of 20,000 participants. Okay, if you spend two hours, okay, two hours outside in either a green space, a park, or nature, you are mentally and physically better off than someone who hasn't. That two hours, it can be 15-minute increments. It can be two hours all at one time. Mentally, you're sharp. I think Jesus was on to something right here when he talks about the replenishment of energy. Quiet place, solitary place, outside, away from no one. See, I, I, whenever I, I prep my message, we have some trails near our house, I'll, I'll go through and uh, I'll walk the trails and you see these, these trees and you hear the birds and you hear, and, and now I'm from California, I don't tell too many people that, originally born in Missouri, but like I'm always amazed when I'm walking through and I'm like, man, that's a beautiful bird, like, like that points to a creator. That's logic in my mind. Whenever you're in that quiet place in that remote surrounding, you're thinking, there's got to be something more. And then number three, we rest for a good amount of time. Rest for a good amount of time. Now again, I can't say it enough. As followers, our production rate trumps our resting rate. Some of you are like, well, Pastor Blake, does that mean I sign up for work? No, I'm saying if you're raising kids, that's work. If you're a student, that's work. Your production rate needs to trump your, your resting rate. Notice, G, no, notice what's God do in the first six days of life, right, of creation, I should say. He creates six days. And what's he do on the seventh? He rests. I, I believe you need a 24-hour period of, of rest, the, the issue becomes and the challenge becomes is we're resting all the time. We're like, hey, I need to relax. I need this. You know, when people show up, I need a vacation from vacation. I'm like, come on. A.W. Tozer, he says this, the man who would truly know God must give time to him. Time to him. So the question is, are you, are you taking that 24-hour period? Are you resting? See, the rested you is the best you. You can't love well if you're not rested. Jesus knew that. Jesus probably saw this, these disciples who were starting up here and, and down here with the way they treated people. Realize those men need rest. Number two, we love well by having a clear picture of our 
relationships. Verse 32 continues. We love well by having a clear picture of our relationships. So they went away by themselves to a boat on a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them. He had pity. He had mercy. He had love toward them. Notice he observed. He saw where the people were at. And because they were like sheep without a shepherd, they're aimless, they were unprotected, they were lost, they were vulnerable. Jesus is witnessing all this. So he gets out and then scripture says, so he began teaching them many things. He engages with them. When it comes to having a clear picture with your relationships, we need to, number one, Jesus knew where the people stood. It's our responsibilities as, as followers, people with an EQ and emotional intelligence to know where people stand with us. To say, hey, they're grieving, they're broken, they're hurting right now. What can I do? What do they need? It's, it's the first part of seeing a need. It's the first part of understanding a need. A lot of us, we, we do a great time of observing. We say, hey, oh man, they're going through a hard time. I'm sorry you're going through a hard time. And then secondly, though, look what Jesus says. And he, he, scripture goes, uh, then Jesus says, know where you stand. And then he says, Jesus instructs his disciples to know their standing. Jesus, number two, instructs the disciples to know they're standing. So Jesus saw, then Jesus engaged. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, this is what Jesus says. He says, you give them something to eat. So he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to Philip. And he says, you go give them something to eat. Can you imagine that? Like, what am I going to give them? They continue. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? See, notice Jesus' response to them, as even we've talked about earlier in worship, isn't, hey, you know what, uh, here's, you go give them something. He said, you take responsibility. You own it. You go get it. You engage. Many times when we see a problem, our instant response is, I can't. We have this rule in my house that says, Bodhi, if I hear the two words, I can't, you're going to really uh, love dad a little more. Because I, I, I don't want to, to breathe into my children the, the attitude, the perspective of they can't do something. I say, you try your hardest. You give it all you got. Jesus is saying right here, it's not about the idea of you can't or something that's possible. He says, you try, you figure it out, you lean into our creator, you lean into God. When you're empty on energy, you lean into God's spirit and God's presence in your life. Oftentimes we look at the obstacle and we say, I can't get past that obstacle. I can't move on. I can't get there. I can't do it. And we say, I can't, I can't, 
I can't. But the disciples, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. See, the influential mind by Tally Share, she shares this understanding. It's been scientifically proven that people in a room or in a gathering, okay, if you're a, a person with a good attitude, that, that everybody's kind of brain sinks up, kind of weird, kind of out there. But if you're in a good mood, then someone with a bad attitude can really impede on that and vice versa. If you're someone with, uh, and they did this case study with different groups. They had a, gr a group of people with good moods and they put a bad person in there and they put a, someone with a bad mood or a group of people with a bad mood and they put someone in there with a good mood. So here's what, here's what I want us to capture. See, whenever this, this negativity comes out, whenever our emotional state is, is kind of waffling, and you have a good mood or a bad mood, most of the time in our thinking, we defer to the bad mood. They did this study over thousands and thousands of people. And my point is this, I say our emotional intelligence is important because we need to have a clear picture of our relationships. If you're in a bad mood, if you're someone that's going through something, that's challenged with something, it's probably not the best to go speak into someone else's life. You don't want to impede on that person at that moment and let something get lost in the mix of it. See, Jesus, look, he saw these individuals. He saw that they were struggling. He had compassion on them, and then he engages with them. I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, have a clear picture of your relationships. Know where you stand. Know where they stand, how can you go from being an observer to be someone who engages? We love well. We love well when we have a clear picture of our relationship. Number three for us is this. We love well by embracing God's abundance. See, God doesn't want you to just get by, but he truly wants you to thrive. He wants you to thrive with him. He wants you to live life abundantly. Mark 6, 39 through 44 says this, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups of the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and, and taking the five loaves and the two fishes, looking up to heaven. Okay, now this is important right here because many times a rabbi or someone of Jesus' religious state, whenever they'd pray, they, they would look down. But Jesus, where's he look? Up. Because he knows that the creator is there. That he's reminded at the goodness and the glory of God is there. So he looks up. God, bless this. So he continues. And he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And all the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now you might have been in church for some time and you've heard this story, but I just want to point out and, and highlight again that number is not necessarily 5,000, but many scholars believe it is somewhere around the area of 12 to 15,000 because that doesn't include women and children. See, we embrace God's abundance in two primary ways. The first one is we do what Jesus asks. 
If you're struggling and looking for a, a flourishing relationship, my first question to you is, are you living according to God's word? Are you trying your best to, to, to follow what is already written down? Are you trying your, your best to say, hey, I'm spending time with God? Are you saying, hey, here are my words, here, here's, here's the word of God, am I, am I getting it, am I knowing it? That's why I said earlier, it's your responsibility to, to know God's word. So you can do what Jesus asked. Can you imagine the disciples in this scene? They're passing out these loaves and these fish. And they're like, hey, we're just told, we're just doing what we're asked. Hey, are you guys running low over there? Nope, like their baskets keep filling up. They're like, hey, this is, this is interesting. They're doing what they're told and the miraculous happens. We love well when we embrace God's abundance. Number two is we... We embrace God's abundance when it comes to we bless God with what we currently have. A slippery slope we can fall into is always, hey, when I get there, I wish for that. If this happens, then I can line up things over here. If we're diligent with what we have, if we are faithful in the little things, God's going to continue to pour out abundance in our lives. Now, it might not be monetary. It might not be uh, resources. It might not be things. It might not be activities. But it'll be in your relationships. It'll be in the way you live, your, your whole being, your happiness, your, your, your personality. Life starts coming to, to map together. It starts making logical sense. We love well when we, uh, we, we, we trust God with all the things that we have. Robert Morris, he writes in a, in a blessed life, great pastor from Gateway Church, love reading his books. Pastor Goss, he always comes in and, uh, in my uh, office times and he, he grabs books and then he comes into my office and he drops them on my desk. And I said, uh, this is always interesting. I'm like, hey, pastor, so I pick up a book. What do you want me to learn from this book you're putting on my desk? If many of you know or, or don't know, Pastor Goss and I are in a transitional state of uh, trying to, he's retiring and, and I'm sliding into being the next lead pastor. And he comes in and, and he'll put a book on my desk. I'll be like, pastor, tell me what you need me to know. Like, we're in this one-on-one, -on -one, like, I'm like, come on, man. Like, help me out, Pastor Goss. And he'll come in, and he brings me this book, A Blessed Life. And I don't know if you've read it. Great book. I encourage you to pick it up. I know he's gone through with his class on Sunday mornings. And whenever we're sitting there, and I'm starting to read this book, he's like, no, you need to read it. You know, I'm like, all right, what is, like, you know, he trying to kind of communicate to me? So I read the book. Like, my mind's blown. Robert Moore shares a story. He's at this conference, not making much money, sitting all the way up in the rafters, and he feels God tell him, prompt to give $100 into the offering. He's like, well, I don't have much money. $100 at that time for him was a lot of money. And uh, he's like, all right, like, I'll do it. Like, if you read the stuff, like, this guy is giving away nine cars in 18 months. Like, phenomenal individual. Like, uh, it blows my mind, challenges me. And so he's sitting up there, he's at this conference, gives $100, and he, and he decides, the, the minister, he's praying over the offering, and, and he decides, okay, I need to raise my hands. I feel like the Spirit of God is telling him to raise his hand. So he raises his hand with $100 in his hand, and the offering bucket comes by, and he puts it back. At the exact same time, 
He's raising his hands all the way in the back. This man on the floor, pretty close to the audience, looks, so, looks back, sees this man, and that man tells him, okay, that you need to bless that man a hundred times fold of what he's given in his offering. So Robert Morris, this man who steps in faith, not having much, trusts God with the little bit that he has, and God in turn gives him an abundance to do a powerful work in the ministry. Some of the greatest inhibitors in our lives, our spiritual and faith journey with God, is that we're not using what we have right now. We're not stewarding what we have right now, not just finances, but our resources with friends, family, personal issues, whatever the case might be at, that, at, at this time. See, see, Jesus is saying, hey, work with what you have. Love well by living in God's abundance. Number four for us today is this. We love well by being recharged in God's presence. Love well by being recharged in God's presence. Typically, whenever we read this passage, we don't really look at these two final verses. But it says this, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While they dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He went up on a mountainside to pray. So Jesus has been teaching all day. Miracle is performed. He's coaching, he's consoling his disciples. And finally, at the end of the day, he puts them on a boat and he says, you go, I need to stay and pray. You go, I'm going to go spend time with God. So I'm always kind of mesmerized, I guess you would say, when I talk to individuals and, they're, and, and their life is busy, they're challenged, and I get it, we're, we're raising a family, we're working and and, and different things, but whenever I have that conversation with them and they say, yeah, I, I just needed to, to rest, so I, I had to skip church today. I, I couldn't make it. We were tired. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've said it to me. I'm not trying to be offensive by any stretch of the imagination right now, but here is what I would say right now. The most recharging time in our life is our time in the presence of God. That's why when Pastor Steph is up here, I'm like, man, give us some oomph. Like we are living in a spiritual warfare battle. It is hard out there. It is defeating, demoralizing. There's health issues. There's situations that have happened in my life. There's words that people have said in my life. There's, there's things that we are mixed up, messed up about. So when, when we come into church, it should be this, hey, life-giving thing. This, this moment where, hey, we can focus on who God is in our life. So he just immediately went to the mountainside, got alone, recharged in the presence of God. I want to challenge you. If you're in this place and you're wrestling with that, make a commitment to show up in the presence of God. Scripture says where two or three are gathered, he is there. Jesus, whenever 
he was going through that and he's learning to love well and or excuse me not learning to love well but whenever he's loving his disciples well he knew that he needed the presence of God in other words he knew that he needed the Holy Spirit's hand to be on his life see in Luke chapter 22 Jesus goes through the hardest moment of his life he goes up to pray on the Mount of Olives he knows what's coming that he's going to die on the cross and when he's at that moment, he, he, he gets done praying, comes back down, and, and he sees his disciples. They fell asleep. And he looks at his disciples and he says, you guys need to pray so that you avoid the temptation. You need to pray that you don't, you, you need to pray because there's going to be challenging things. We need to pray, we need to re-up, we need to keep time and time again to get in the presence of God because there's going to be challenging things. Jesus, when the challenge was coming, what did he do? He prayed. See, the greatest thing as a follower of Jesus, we see this, is we are called to be people that love God, their mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. The question isn't, how do I love? The question is, am I having the energy to love like I should be, to love well? So today, I want to give you a challenge, I should say, some, some homework for you. We're practical here at this church. We don't want you just to come and listen and, and just leave and leave like nothing has ever changed. But here's my challenge to you today. Write this down. You have your notes or maybe you can type it out on notes on your phone, whatever the case might be. What is a relationship? Write two, two names down. What is a relationship right now that you can use the energy from God in order to love those people well. Maybe you're sitting here right now and like, Pastor Blake, I got a list of 37 I need energy to love well. I can relate at times. So write those names down. And then I want you to ask yourselves this question. Am I producing and am I properly rested to engage in that relationship, to, to fix what needs to be fixed in that relationship, to love those people well in that relationship. And then write a clear picture of that relationship. What you're hoping for. Maybe put it on a scale of one to 10. All right, I want my relationship right here with this person. Is that a three? I want it to move over to an eight. What do I need to do? Write a clear picture. See, Jesus saw and had compassion on the crowd. But then he also went and engaged and taught the crowd. You can't always wait to be interacted with. You have to step out and you have to go and engage yourself. And then once you do that, once you are writing those things down, I want you to take five minutes every day, starting today, all the way through next Sunday, and pray about those relationships, those names that you wrote down, that clear picture. Take five minutes a day. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a coworker, a friend, a family member. Maybe, you're, maybe it's somebody like that and say, God, I'm, I'm gonna be in this presence because I wanna love well because ultimately us in this room, we're the best Bible someone's ever gonna read, the only Bible someone's ever gonna read. And we're called to lead and to love our neighbors, our community. We exist for the non-members of this church to spread the love of God. So my question for you today, are you ready to love well? Are you? energized to love well let's follow what Jesus 
commanded us to do. So I'm going to have you stay or stand, excuse me. And we're going to wrap up everybody in this room. You'll stand with us. We're going to enter into a time of worship and reflection. And I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. We believe prayer changes things. Prayer uh, moves the church forward. Prayer changes lives, relationships. And so that's why we believe in prayer. People are like, hey, Pastor Blake, uh, what, what's prayer? Because we believe this is the starting point, our prayer team. And we also understand there's those of you in here. You need prayer. You want prayer. You desire prayer because life is challenging. You can't go at it by yourself. So today, maybe something struck a chord with you. Maybe something's going on personally. Take this moment right now and say, God, I'm going to give you this time. God, I'm going to reflect. Maybe you need to sing. Maybe some of you need to lift your hands. Maybe some of you just need to sit and pray or whatever the case might be. Reflect on what we discussed. And our prayer time, our altar time is open for you right now as we sing this final song. Before we sing, I want to pray and then we'll enter into this moment of worship. God, right now, with every head bowed and eye closed, I pray that you touch these people, that you bless these people. Lord, the question isn't, how do I love? The question is, can we have the energy to love as you have called us to love? Lord, may we live like your son Jesus. May we be in the, the, the posture of being people who produce, who people who rest. May we be people who have a clear picture of our relationships. May we be people that trust in your abundance. May we be people that spend time in your presence. God, I pray that you be with each person in this place. Lead them, guide them, touch them at this moment, Lord. And for those making a decision to follow you, by simply saying, God, come into our lives. Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again three days later for our sins. Lord, touch them right now. Lead them right now. Bless them right now. God, we give you this time. We give you this moment. We say amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.